Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast by Crestcom, I sat down with Dr. Paul White to talk about how you can show more meaningful appreciation at work. Now, Dr. Paul White is a psychologist who makes work relationships work. He has been published by the BBC News, Business Week, CNN, Fortune, Entrepreneur, and the New York Times. And he has spoken in North America, Europe, South America, Asia, and the Caribbean. His expertise has been requested by numerous multinational organizations, including PepsiCo, Microsoft, and NASA. And Dr. White is the co-author of the bestseller, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, selling over 550,000 copies and has been translated in over 25 languages. That's a lot of people that have picked up and wanted to check out that book to know how they could definitely show people better appreciation or the right appreciation, meaning to give it the way we actually like to receive it. So if you want to know how to be better and provide more meaningful appreciation at work, this podcast is for you. Enjoy. Dr. Paul White, welcome to The Leadership Habit. We are so excited to have you today talking about a book that I think many people have known about before, but many people are still learning about and then understanding how it translates into the workplace because we're talking all about appreciation today. Uh, So Dr. Paul, welcome to the show we're just happy to have you. So happy Thursday. It's great to be here with you today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be able to share. Well, great. Well, Dr. Bell, you you have such a great story. And I know that we are going to be talking about the five love languages, but really as how it relates to work and how it shows appreciation. But you have a really compelling story as to how you even started to bridge these two and to talking about it in the workplace. But I'd like to start there if that's okay with you. Before we dive in, could you just tell our audience a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be? Yeah. So I'm trained as a psychologist and for a long time, uh, focus of my career was uh, evaluating students of various ages uh, for ADHD and dyslexia and learning difficulties. And But I grew up in the context of a family-owned business outside of Kansas City. And there were some friends of mine that were business consultants that kept running into family issues and needed some help with that. So I wound up for 15 years or so uh, traveling around the country, working with family-owned businesses and dealing with the family issues that intersect there, and especially around business succession planning. Who's going to run the business next generation? Who's going to own it? How are you fair to everybody else? And I was actually on a trip uh, working with a, a business in North Carolina. And I was talking to the dad who was the CEO. And I said, you know, how's this succession plan going? He says, it's going well. My son's stepping up. I think it's going to work out well. I walk across the hall and ask his son the same question. And he says, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can't ever please my dad. Um, and I could understand that, having experienced some of that. And at the same time, my wife and I were reading, actually probably rereading The Five Love Languages by Dr. Gary Chapman which is a, a great book on personal relationships. It sold 25 million copies. It's in 50 languages. Anyway, uh, and I thought, you know, I wonder if those concepts might transfer to work-based relationships. So I wound up pursuing Dr. Chapman for a year before I could meet with him and then pitch the idea to him. And given some unique aspects of my training and experience, both business and uh, family and relationships, um, uh, 
decided to work together and we created an online assessment that became the motivating by appreciation inventory. It's been taken by 375,000 people in the world um, and generated some uh, appreciation at work training uh, where we've just passed over 1,250 trainers worldwide um, and then wrote the book together, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, which is sold 550,000 copies and it's in 25 languages. So it's it's been an interesting journey. It's, it's been fun. I mean, congratulations on the success. I can say as an employee that sometimes, definitely many times throughout my career, didn't feel appreciated. Just sure. thank you for giving a voice and a way, a new way that we can even look at appreciation in the workplace. But before we dive in, if you didn't catch to our audience, he was pursuing, <laughs> pursuing the opportunity for a year. Yeah. I asked you this in the pre-call because I was, again, so impressed by your grit and your determination. How did you, like, what did you do to be able to keep going even when you didn't hear something? Because I think sometimes our audience needs to hear that, that sometimes things do take a little bit more effort, but how are you able to continue to push forward knowing you believed in this partnership and just pick yourself up to keep going after it, even when you didn't hear anything? Yeah. You know, I'm not exactly sure, but... Uh, I think a part of it was that I kept doing other things. In other words, I didn't put all my eggs in this basket. And so it was sort of like either this works or not. I mean, I had my other professional uh, pursuits that I was still doing, but pursuing this and talking to friends and colleagues about it. And they would say, yeah, it's a great idea. And so I would get encouragement that way. My wife was obviously su- supportive, uh, although she she also questioned why I continue. And it, it does raise, there's a, there's a balance between perseverance and uh, hard-headedness and just, you know, total, you know, just going too far too long. But, you know, I kept getting uh, some feedback um, and it was like, well, not yet. He's working on a project. So there was, it wasn't like a, a door slammed in my face. No, but it was like, we need to wait until he's free. So just kept going. I mean, I think that's an inspiring message for any of our audience that has a big dream because on the side of waiting for a one year, you're now on the other side at selling over 500,000 copies of the book. So give yourself permission to keep going. And thank you for just being an, a source of inspiration for someone that might need that right now. Heck, I need that right now. So thank you very much. All right, let's dive into it. So how can we create a positive workplace how do you how do you even create a positive workplace using authentic appreciation? What does that even mean? Yeah, so you know, I often talk about there's sort of four major misconceptions that business and organizational leaders have about appreciation. First of all, they think it's the same thing as employee recognition, um, and employee recognition has been around for decades. Ninety five percent of all the companies in the U.S. have it, and, but it can be as small as sending it out an automatic email on your birthday, or it can be pretty involved, but it's organizational, it's top-down, it's pretty structured, impersonal, and lots of times it just doesn't have much impact at all. Uh, So it's um, authentic appreciation, and we really emphasize the authentic piece. It's not just about going through the motions, but that it's really driven personally. It's person to person. Secondly, misconception is that appreciation is just words. I mean, you're saying thanks or giving a compliment, praise, and that's part of it. But uh, our research with over 375,000 people, uh, less than half of the employee workforce 
chooses words as the primary way they want to be shown appreciation. So if you only use words, you really are at risk for missing the mark for over half of your team members. Um, third, the goal isn't just to make people feel happy and feel good. I mean, that's nice. And, you know, we'd like that to happen. But really, and in our book, we outline, I mean, I just rewrote uh, a chapter on sort of the ROI of appreciation. I have over 50 research studies that show that it, the real goal is to help you uh, have a, an effective functional organization. Um, and I use sort of the image of oil in a machine. You know, you have a machine that have parts that go together and all that. And without oil, there's friction, there's heat, they get stuck, there's sparks. And I think appreciation is sort of like oil in an organization that it helps people work together well, helps things move better. And so we've got research that shows that it's, uh, you know, uh, improves attendance, reduces tardiness, reduces people calling in sick when they're not really sick. Uh, it reduces uh, conflict among the staff. It increases uh, customer service ratings. Uh, managers enjoy their work more. Lots of positive things happen. And so that's really the goal is that we want things to work well so that you can focus on your mission versus all the other things that get in the way. And then the last misconception is that appreciation is just for uh, leaders and managers to communicate. And actually, we found that the best way is to teach your team members how to communicate appreciation to one another, because more and more younger employees are more focused on collegial relationships than they are sort of supervisor-manager relationships. And we can empower people uh, to learn what their appreciation languages are, their colleagues, and teach them how to do it. And that's when it's really functional. And so you don't have to start, rarely do we start sort of top-down in a big organization and just do it that way. Most of the time we start with a small pilot group, one or two, and have them do it. And then other people watch and they say, hey, I'd like to try that. And it just, we've gone all the way across Miller course doing that, direct TV. Uh, we work with big organizations, but lots and lots of schools, medical facilities, small businesses, government agencies, all kinds of things. You don't have to be big and it doesn't cost a lot of money either. Yeah, it requires effort. Not money, but intention. Maybe that's the right word outside intention. of effort is it requires intention yeah. because, you know, you talked about obviously the four different misconceptions, uh, you know, person to person, the words, right? Because I can, there are plenty of people that don't want the words and there are plenty of times a leader gives words that don't even mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the key things about four. And that's part of our training is how do you do this in a way that's effective? We, you know, everybody's busy and lots of times the question, well, how do I get to find time to do this? We're committed to not creating another to-do list for people. You've got your regular one, probably your project one. You don't need an appreciation or recognition one. So it's like teaching you how to do what you're almost doing and tweak it a little bit so it makes it effective. And so for words, it's really important to be specific. And we teach a model of use a person's name. We'd like to hear uh, our name. So you know, start out with Stephanie. If you're writing it, make sure you spell their name correctly. That's really important. Um, and then be specific about what they've done or who they are that you value. So Stephanie, thanks for, you know, getting your reports done and in on time to me. And then the third part is why it's important either to you, to the organization, or your customers. So Stephanie, thanks for getting your reports done and on time uh, to me. That way it makes it easy for me to turn my reports around without being real stressed out about it. So the more specific you are, the more likely are it's to be viewed as genuine and authentic versus when we do polls found out people don't like to hear good job 
it's vague. It's nonspecific. You can say it to your dog. I mean, it just doesn't mean a whole lot. So. <laughs> I, but I love that within that answer, you gave, you already gave people a framework that they can use for how to even have an effective feedback conversation, you know, using their name and being descriptive and identifying their behavior and how it relates to the team, the organization, the customer, like right there is meaningful work. Yep. Um, now you talked a lot about, you know, some of the research, the statistics, the data that you've been able to uncover through your survey. And what I'm curious about is why people maybe don't draw the connection between appreciation and retention, you know, retention strategies. Like, yeah. where do you think people don't realize like how closely those are linked? Or why do you think that appreciation is so tied to our turnover and retention? Well, first, I think people miss it because a lot of people, especially leaders that have gone through school, studying business or an MBA or whatever, they never talk about this at all. Um, and they focus on compensation packages and all that. And we actually know we have decades of research that show compensation does not create stickiness. It doesn't keep people there. Uh, it's a very short term satisfier after about three to four months, a raise, a bonus is sort of lost in their mind, and you got other things dealing with. In fact, recently, uh, MIT uh, did a study over the last uh, 2021, 22, uh, the great sort of resignation, and found that feeling appreciated was, or not feeling appreciated, was three times more likely to predict somebody leaving than dealing with compensation issues. And so, uh, you know, people just, they sort of are focused on the wrong thing. And it, it really is important. I mean, one another study found that 79% of people who leave a job voluntarily, they are quitting, cite a lack of appreciation as the key reason they're leaving. And you've got to understand that. And uh, because if, you know, right now it's tough to hire people um, and find the right people. And so if you've got good people that you can work with, you want to keep them and show them that you value them because, you know, we're in an era where people, uh, yeah, they want to make, you know, decent money, uh, but they want to have a life and they're a person. And I think the COVID pandemic sort of pointed out how interrelated our lives and work are. And so, you know, we really emphasize that appreciation is about the person. It's not just productivity, that we're people. And uh, we have characteristics that are valuable even outside of what we do. Uh, so, for example, I like to work with cheerful people more than grumpy people. And so I'll hire a B-plus skill-wise team member who's cheerful and easy to get along with versus an A jerk, you know, uh, because it, it's just going to make life better. Yes. I, I noticed so many parallels. I know that sometimes people might look at the efforts around diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging, and they may not put appreciation into that. But how, from where I sit, I feel like appreciation feeds into that. And you said it, seeing the whole person, making them understand that they are a valuable contributor to your team. Like I'm just seeing so many ways that appreciation could be a more effective uh, strategy, of course, then compensation, of course, then some benefits, and of course, then blank. Like appreciation seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. Why do you think people just don't do it? Is it are we operating too fast today that we're like they know they've got this? Uh, I, you know, I said that. Why do you think people forget to maybe be a little bit more intentional? Well, I think we we get task oriented, right, and we lose the big picture of the context of tasks. I mean, one of the things that we talk about is when team members feel valued. 
you become less busy dealing with all the stupid things that happen mm -hmm. when people don't feel valued. They're, they're complaining about the size of their monitor, or whether they have a window or their, what their schedule is or their parking spot. And if you take all that stuff away, you got a lot more time and energy to focus on the mission, right? And so when people feel valued, that's when the engine really runs well. And But people get sort of just in this sort of single action to single, uh, you know, reaction kind of thing and, and, and miss the big picture. The other part about diversity is one of our core messages, not everybody feels appreciated in the same way. I mean, yeah. talk about diversity. And so that's why the five languages are there because some people really do value quality time with a team member uh, more than words and clearly acts of service. People often don't value words. They sort of view words as cheap. Um, you know, what we were chatting briefly about gifts, tangible gifts, it's not bonuses, it's raises and all that. It's really small things that show that you're getting to know the other person. So what their favorite coffee is, and you bring that in for them or their kind of snack they like, or maybe they're starting a new hobby. Maybe they're starting to coach their son or daughter in soccer for the first time. And so you get them some resources, whether it's a magazine or a website, uh, that gives them some, you know, uh, skill drills to, to use with that, or if they're planning a summer garden, some information about that. So it's at a personal level. Um, and then, you know, physical touch is the one that people sort of, oh, we're going to get sued, uh, is get weird <laughs> about, you know, I, I, I tease that when we, when I speak to HR managers, we always have paramedics in the room to deal with their stress, but, um, <laughs> but physical touch in this sense is really uh, just spontaneous celebration, right? It's what happens when you know you high five when you finish a project, it's a fist bump when you solve a problem, maybe a congratulatory handshake when you make a big sale or, or you know, an accomplishment. Um, and it varies regionally, right? You know, I lived in the South for a while and they do a lot of side hugs down there in New York. The closest thing comes to physical touch is this. Hey, you know, it's just sort of a <laughs> nod across the room. So and, but we, but culturally too, I mean, we have a lot of Hispanic and Latin friends that are more warm and physical and they greet each other with sort of a, a kiss on the cheek. Uh, and so we have to understand that. And it's always the recipient that gets to choose what is uh, appropriate for them or acceptable. Um, so somebody's saying, I need to give you a hug. I'm like, yeah, tough. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not up for that with you. So uh, anyway. not a hugger. I yeah. love that you gave the high level. And now if it's okay with you, I want to you know, go a little bit more in depth on each of the languages. But to those that might be unfamiliar with the five love languages, in a simple way, how would you describe what they are? I know that you just touched on that in terms of diversity and how people yeah, want to be actually the but same. How would you describe like what they're the five the, love languages are to someone that's new to this? Okay. So, well, they're the same in name. The five languages are words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and physical touch. But essentially the concept is that people both send and receive messages of love, if you will, of care in different ways. And uh, we sort of have each our own preferred personal love language. And in marriages or family relationships, you can be doing like, let's, let's say your language is acts of service and you're doing things for other person, but like my wife's language is quality time. If I don't stop and just spend 15 minutes a day, listen to her catching up, you know, it doesn't get it for her. I can give her gifts. doesn't matter. I got to spend the time. So the, the concept is being able to communicate uh, love in a way that's meaningful to the other person. And that's true in appreciation as well. It doesn't really, in some ways, doesn't matter so much what your language is 
Uh, it's more about how the other person uh, feels appreciated. And so you want to communicate it in the language and the actions that's important to them. Because one of the differences between the love languages and appreciation languages is in work, uh, it, really finding out the specific actions is difficult because you don't ask somebody, say, how do I show you appreciation? That's just around a weird conversation in our culture. Um, and you don't have that many examples to watch. So that's why we created the online assessment. And it identifies people's primary, secondary language of appreciation, their least valued one, which is the one they don't think about because it's not important to them, but then the specific actions. So like quality time, in older generations, it was more time with your supervisor or manager, sort of one-on-one. -on -one. More now for younger employees, it's more about collegial relationships, getting together, going out to lunch together, going out to work. So you have to get both the language and the action, right? And so we've created this resource and then you can get a team profile that you share and work through together. And it, it's actually a, a pretty fun discussion. Now, I, I already think this is a great discussion because I mean, what I heard from the outside is even by taking that assessment, you can understand people's primary and secondary like ways they want to be appreciated. We're teaching you how to better connect with others, but then you also understand what they don't necessarily value. And exactly. that does look different for other people. I can even think for me, I am not in a workplace. I'm not financially motivated. I mean, I know that I will get money. I, I care about money, but right. that is not my primary thing from what I want from a team, from what I want from a boss. Like that is not the thing that's actually going to keep me in an organization because I've left organizations for a 20% pay cut just to feel that. Yeah. But let's let's dive a little bit more into what they are. So acts of service. I know that sometimes I am really great at giving this one because I love to buy people like, or excuse me, acts of service is different than gifts. And that's where I was going. Okay. Acts of service. What is acts of service? Acts of service are doing just small things that help make your colleagues day or week go better. And the easiest, there's sort of two easy examples. One is you're working on a time-limited project and you're banging away, trying to get it done. What can they do to help make that go better? And it could be maybe delegate a piece and they help you out with that. Or maybe they take your calls and answer your emails for a day or two while you're working on the project. Um, uh, and so it, and it varies a lot according to role and industry. Uh, and then you also, um, sometimes acts of service is just sort of being there and doing it team wise together that they like doing things with other people. And it sort of crosses over to quality time that way. But uh, oh, the other example is if you're in a clinical or a service setting where, you know, a whole bunch of customers show up all at once and there's a backup line and all that, what can you do to help out, you know, to help open another register or whatever it might be that way? I love that you just brought in the customer service element that, because this is all about how we work with people, how we make them feel appreciated, which as a customer, of course, I always want to feel like I'm valued or they care right. about me. And so I love that you just made that connection of whether it's on a team interpersonally, you know, these acts of service can obviously extend to how, you know, how you actually serve your customer and understanding how your customer wants to be served. Hi, everyone. It's Jen. And I'm just coming to you because we need your help. Presscom International, the organization that hosts the Leadership Habit podcast that I proudly work for, is looking to expand their network of people that are committed to creating more ethical, engaging, and human leaders. Now, how is that relevant to you? Well, we're looking for referrals. Do you know someone that is interested in giving back and being an entrepreneur and owning their own business? 
or that wants to make a difference and is passionate about leadership development? Well, I'm excited to share with you that Crestcom has just launched a referral program. If you know someone, maybe it's a past mentor or a boss that's interested in making a career change and wanting to leverage the knowledge and their experience in the classroom, send them our way. We have this new program and here's the scoop. We've designed an easy to use referral form available on crestcom.com forward slash referrals. And you can visit the site, submit your referrals and access all of the rules along with required terms and conditions. Here's the sweet spot of this. If you refer a successful candidate, we'll give you $2,500. Now we want to expand and make our mission even greater, but we can't do that without your help. So if you know someone that would be interested in becoming a franchisee for an amazing leadership development organization that wants to get into the classroom and make a difference, head on over to crestcom.com forward slash referrals today and help us impact your workplaces and the leaders that you work with. Here's the only caveat. Please note that this program is currently open to applicants based in the United States only. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about quality time. So, and you had said that that one is different today. And I'm curious by what you meant for that. How, so in the past, people met more time in with the managers. Right. But let's talk about what it is and then how it maybe has evolved. Yeah, so what it is, I mean, it's that spending time or getting time with people that you value or respect gives you a sense of value and importance. And so, in, you know, if if you have a manager that you respect or a supervisor, you know, it might be that you get together and you share observations and get their feedback or that they just, you know, give you some feedback and instruction on, you know, personal growth and, and, and career development. Uh, it's about focused attention, though. It's about that you have their attention and they're not doing something else. They're not looking at the computer. They're not answering the cell phone and all that. Uh, for sort of more of the, the pure collegial part, it's about being part of a group that if some of your teammates are going out to lunch that they invite you. I mean, if you don't, aren't invited, you feel really left out and not valued, you know? And, and that's where on our inventory, we let people choose uh, the actions and who you want to involve. So I was just looking at some data we had and the highest rated act that people like in quality time is going out to lunch and not talking about work. Okay. Um, and I had a CEO tell me, he said, I, you know, I try to spend time with people, but they don't want to go to lunch. Well, he found out that he went to lunch and they talked about work and the people didn't want to talk about work. And so you you got to figure that out. And, and that's where the inventory helps. Or if you want to get together and watch sports, we have a part where you can say, yeah, I like my colleagues, but I'm not going to invite my supervisor. So, so people know. Yeah. I feel like every leader should have a rule that office lunch, but no worktop for the next 45 minutes or some expectation, because I definitely have been there where I don't want to go to that happy hour. All they're going to do is complain. And then I'm going to hate everything about my job or my team or whatever yeah. is going on right now. And I don't want to feel that way, but I do wish I was connected with you. And so, okay, from a millennial perspective, I have to ask this because I don't know when the millennials started entering the workforce, we got a lot of you got a lot of crap. <laughs> a lot of crap, a <laughs> yeah. lot of crap for this need for feedback, for this need for, you know, kind of quality time, that time in. Do you notice the difference out of curiosity between the generations and how some of them like that? Or is it truly just, you know, individual? Or do you notice more certain generations really driving? No, we, we've studied that numerous times over times, both generations and um, where you work kind of industry, if, if it varies. So generationally, 
the overall theme is the same, that words is the most, quality times is the second most preferred, access service, tangible gifts, and then physical touch is less than 1%. But the younger that you get, uh, the more people in that generation pick quality time. So by the time we got down to uh, 25 and less, it was about uh, 35% of the, of the employees chose quality time, whereas for older employees, it was about 20%. So it moves from words largely to quality time. So, uh, and but it, and like I tell older leaders, just because you have a team member who has quality time as their language doesn't mean they want time with you. Okay, it may be <laughs> wonderful, it may be great, but you may need to facilitate that the team gets together and goes out and you don't go in. So yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that one. Well, and I think it's so important now in this hybrid workplace that. I mean, I know that I've read research that people are like 9.8 or 10 times happier with their job when they feel a sense of connection at work. And right. quality time is obviously the way that we can feel connected just by that time in. But yet people don't do it. And we really do need to do that even more so, I guess. Yeah, right, and, no, and, an interesting point about that, because we did research during COVID and then afterwards about how well people were deal, dealing with the stress. And a key factor was people staying connected with their colleagues, but two parts, it was with their colleagues versus their supervisor, and it was staying connected at a personal level. Not that they were still communicating about work, but they were talking about what they did this weekend, how their folks are doing, you know, as far as if they were older and so forth, um, how, you know, how the kids are, because that's a key issue right now is connectedness that even though with all the digital media we have, there's um, still a sense of, you know, sort of being distant from people. Uh, And uh, I'll say this, that research that's coming out in neuroscience finds that there's a qualitative difference of our experience talking with somebody in the same room versus virtually. And so I've worked with multinational groups that have virtual international teams, I say, You've got to get together at least once a year, once every six months in person. Otherwise, there's a real difference of trust, of uh, understanding communication. And so face-to-face stuff, at least occasionally, is really important. Yeah. And I can't, I know I just had one of my close friends started a new job about a year ago now, and she finally met her colleagues, I think it was like a (laughs) year and a month in that they did everything face to face. And she, you know, again, the remarks and it's obvious, but yet people aren't doing it. She was like, oh my gosh, now I have a name to a face. And I just really enjoyed getting to know them. We had this, but I think initially employers were like, well, we don't have to do it because they're virtual. So they're probably fine. Yeah. You actually still want to invest in that because it, it alleviates a lot of that noise, right? I'm less likely to maybe send a rude email to the person when I Absolutely. know their face versus, I don't know, you're just Jen and you sent me the annoying request and today <laughs> you sent me an annoying one and I don't want to deal with that. Right, yeah, like, yeah, it's, I know, it's huge. Yeah, and, and so let's go into, because I know we hit the two, so talking about quality time and of course uh, acts of service, but words, words of affirmation being incredibly important. What does that mean? And, and, and it's not good job, way to go. What right. does that mean? <laughs> well, and it's words that are affirming. We're affirming the value of another person. And a key part, I mean, clearly you start at the behavior level, what they do and what you value that way.
But if you really want to grab somebody's heart that has words as their primary language, you talk about their character. Uh, and because there's a difference between saying, hey, you know, Jen, thanks for your reports to me on time uh, versus saying, Jen, I really value that you're dependable. Right. That's a different message because character is about behavior over time in different settings with different people. And it's who you are. And that's again, the point is. This is about person to person. It's not according to the org chart. One of the cool things that we found is that uh, you show appreciation to somebody not in your department. I mean, maybe somebody in IT helps your computer work, right? And you want to show appreciation to them or your receptionist. And, you know, you communicate appreciation to the, uh, you know, the executive vice president of how they dealt with a difficult, you know, client that was bugging them. So it's person to person and at, at a, you know, and I guess one of the differences also is that it can words can be spoken, but they also can be written. And so for our introverted friends, of which I'm not one, uh, is, you know, that talking face to face can be really sort of anxiety producing. And then their anxiety uh, communicates something they it looks like they don't really mean it because they're not looking at you and they're saying, well, I'm really so excited you're part of our team, you know, <laughs> and the flat voice. Whereas if they're writing it, you get to take their time, you know, word it correctly, send it when they're comfortable and they don't have to worry about, you know, the face-to-face -face interaction. Oh my gosh. There was a, he wasn't my boss, but he had a great reputation for a company that I worked for 15 years ago. And he would write, handwrite notes and he would always get into the office really early and he would hand, handwrite notes. It wasn't weekly, but I think it was monthly to each of his direct reports. And he would just set them. I don't think he was a man of words that wanted to have the conversation, but he wanted you to know. And yeah. so he would handwrite them and put them on the laptop. So when they got into work, they would see this handwritten letter from him, which... Nice. I thought it was really cool that he did yeah. that. And then he formed a positive reputation from those outside of it. Like, where's my handwritten note for my <laughs> boss? Like, I want that. That's uh, great that they do that. And it's interesting, there's a generational difference about that generational and uh, gender sort of interaction effect. Younger employees, especially younger guys, well, younger employees don't value handwritten notes as much as older employees do because we were sort of enculturated. If you got a really nice gift from your grandma, you had to write her handwritten note. But uh, for younger employees, especially younger guys, a handwritten note doesn't really add much value. But what is important is the speed at which you get back to them uh, because of the culture moving so fast. So if you want to encourage a 20-something guy on your team, you send them a note, uh, you know, a text or a chat or whatever real quick um, and be specific, but don't wait to go write it and, you know, obviously send it in the mail. That's never going to happen. So uh, but it's about if you don't get back to them within 24 to 48 hours, you sort of moved into history from their point of view. So it needs to be getting back to them pretty quickly. I love that. I'm talking about the speed that understand that generational difference. Why do you think so? You, if I'm understanding this correctly, you said that words is typically the number one. Yes, 46% for of all employees choose words as their primary language. I mean, for me, I almost feel like. Do none of us receive enough positive affirmation in our lives that it really, really does matter in the form of words at work? Like, why do you think that is? That's uh, like, how, that's one of the ways that I said, I'm like, maybe people actually don't get those positive words from, from many people. A lot people of people don't. want it at work. Like, yeah, I have a cartoon I use in my presentations. This supervisor says, you know, 
if I don't criticize your work, count that as a compliment, you know, and it's sort of like just silence. And there are a lot of people that don't hear anything positive or if they do, it's very generic in general. And so it, it's like, you know, I've had technical people say that my supervisor that wouldn't know what a good job is. They manage me, but they, they're, you know, they don't have the expertise. So they're sort of blowing smoke. Yeah, that's, yeah. I just, I feel like you've got an opportunity to tell people that they matter, whether you do that with quality time by letting you you not be there and they can go out and do something yeah. or writing the words. Now, I know those are the the top or the top three based on the data. And then the the other two are, serve, or excuse me, our gifts and touch. Let's talk about those really quickly. What yeah. are, what's receiving gifts or what is, what is the gift? So tangible gifts, it's only 7% of the population. And so employee recognition programs that focus a lot on rewards and that kind of stuff, a lot of them are blowing money that doesn't need to be spent because I've had people say, if I never hear anything, if nobody stops by to see how I'm doing or help me out when I'm, you know, need some help and I get a gift and it's from the company, it feels pretty superficial. Right. Yeah. And so um, gifts again are, it's about the person. It's what they like. And you mentioned about gift cards. We did research on gift cards and found that there's two types of people with regards to gift cards. One, like a generic gift card, Visa, Amazon. So they can sort of spin it on whatever they want. Other people don't want a generic one so that they can't just spend it on daily life stuff, but they want it from a specific store, maybe, you know, whether it's iTunes or a bookstore or whatever their hobby is. And so getting them that is, is more important. But it's this gifts is really the part where it is the thought that counts. Um, and please listen to this that for your listeners, Christmas time and holidays. Gifts from organization to organization have very little impact or meaning. I mean, it's like, oh, we got the fruit basket from, you know, Acme, you know, tools or whatever, you know, but gifts uh, given person, person. And here's, here's a key that a friend of mine that's sort of a specialist in gifts said, one of the most effective ways to give a gift is when it's not expected. So don't give it in December, give it in late January, early February, along with a note about what you value about them. Gifts by themselves aren't that impactful, but if you pair them with one of the other languages, it carries a lot more value, but it needs to be person to person. You know what they like. I mean, I've had lots of negative examples. I had a guy say, I thought my team was trying to kill me. I'm a serious type one diabetic and they gave me a box of candy for Christmas. You know, it's like, think about this, you know, so, and corporate gifts, I've had places uh, become say, you know, people feel like they're just a walking billboard. They get tired of logo wear, uh, you know, that that's all they get, you know, so. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes the colors of logo wear are just, no one wants the neon yellow polo to go. <laughs> like they don't wear neon yellow all the time. Yeah, but I like give it you, to your four-year-old at the soccer field. Then you yeah. Can, you're like, uh, or maybe I can dress as a soccer player for <laughs> Halloween and then I've got this and I'll just put a piece of tape over that. Um, but I, you said in that comment too, that it is, you know, it's good to be able to pair them. And we haven't really talked about, I know we alluded to there's a primary style and there's a secondary style. So do you sometimes recommend like seeing how you compare them? So the words sure. of affirmation goes with your quality time. So it's an intentional feedback conversation or what's kind of your yeah, best practice yeah. for that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you sort of figure it out and, and say, hey, you know, would you like to 
go out for a cup of coffee or, you know, go get a snack and then you communicate a message to them one-on-one. It's interesting with, you know, in reward recognition programs, a lot of times there's sort of this big award kind of thing. And, you know, somebody goes up front clearly, uh, I mean, repeatedly 40% of all employees do not want to go up in front of a large group uh, to get recognized. So, and it can be very negative for them. I had one gal say she spent the 15 to 20 minutes prior to getting the award in the bathroom throwing up. She was so anxious about it. So, uh, and it differs administrative assistants. It's like 65% don't want to, librarians, 90%. Actually, it was, it was like 95%. This big thing I did for librarians, they just, they don't want to go there. So you got to, and personal, private, maybe in front of their, their team, you know, like on a conference call or a team meeting, say, hey, you know, uh, Steve did a great job of handling this difficult situation. Just want to point that out. That's that's okay, but it's different in front of a big group. Um, I think it's different. And I speak, like I am always in front of people and I love talking and speaking, but I don't want to be recognized in front of a group of people like that. And I think you helped me kind of understand a little bit of that by myself because someone might assume she's always used to being in front of people. She's totally fine with that. That actually triggers more like imposter syndrome or a lot of other head trash for me that, you know, who's I, saying negative things about me that I got this award, right? I yeah. mean, that's one of the, the concerns people have. Yeah, like I'm glad that you said that. Okay, final one. I know that we went a little bit longer on this podcast, but I just love this conversation. All right, physical touch. So everyone in HR, please stay tuned. Don't turn away. <laughs> there is a point. Physical touch. What does that mean as it relates to work? <laughs> you know, it's just, I mean, t- two points. We, we, Dr. Chab and I, you know, question whether or not we were included. And for two reasons we did. First, we didn't want to advocate a touchless society even in the workplace because there are times and places and relationships where touch is very important and meaningful, especially, you know, in medical settings and long-term care settings. And uh, even in, you know, critical situations where somebody's, uh, you know, family member's been in an accident, you're concerned about it. And so you pat them on the shoulder or whatever. So uh, there's that. And secondly, it happens. And so let's talk about it. You know, it is that spontaneous celebration and it differs regionally. You need to understand it. But for, you know, and we do international work. And so, uh, you know, in Southern Europe, sort of Italians, the Spanish, Portuguese, you know, they're physical. <laughs> in uh, Northern Europe, you know, the Scandinavians, you know, they're not in like in Japan, the only physical touch in the workplace really is ever a, a congratulatory handshake. But it is a sense of warmth and acceptance. Uh, and you think about the team, that, uh, the people that you're comfortable with and something good happens, you know, you want to celebrate. And so it, it just happens. And, and uh, I mean, I had a guy, a friend of mine, he said, yeah, my sister and I just finished like a six month project and I was walking out the office and she reached up for a high five as I was going out. And what am I supposed to do? Say, you know, sorry, you know, so it, it was, we need to normalize a little bit and not, and not get weird. Yeah, I'm with you because there is a, an appropriate time. I can think of at work, like I had a father that had a stroke and I had a boss that like hugged me while that happened. And that was really important to me. But also sometimes we all deserve a high five. Like we <laughs> killed it. Like we don't celebrate enough as is. So why not yeah. celebrate with a high five or a fist bump or something like that? Just to commemorate or make it different. But of course, you're not talking about, you know, all the things that people think about why you don't. Yeah, don't do that. But it's, you know, still being connected with someone and like giving small ways of like, I see you, I hear 
you. I, you know, yeah. I acknowledge the efforts. Um, Dr. Paul, you've talked a lot, but honestly, after going through our conversation, I think it's so important that obviously leaders take this back and they start to understand how and who or how their employees want to be appreciated. You know, so your assessment is one way of doing that. And could you talk a little bit more, like knowing how can they get in touch with you? How can they access this assessment? Because I feel like that's going to be the way that they can really unlock the power of this conversation. Right. So there's two ways, actually. So if you buy the book, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, we actually in, uh, include a code uh, for you to be able to take sort of our basic introductory assessment and go on and see what it's like. But you can also, our mothership sort of website is appreciationatwork.com and it's the word at, so appreciationatwork.com. And it has about assessments, about the books, about our training materials. We created sort of low cost uh, video online train the trainer course that you can take teams through uh, because so you don't have to have me come. I love to come speak, but you know, I can only go so many places, but uh, the assessment, you can buy groups, codes of that for your team to take and we create a group report for you. So it's appreciationatwork.com really sort of the place to, to go to find out stuff. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that because I think all of our listeners need to go and do that. You talked about connection and you even talked about, you know, where people are. The great resignation is really the great reevaluation and people want to work for a place where they know that they actually matter and that they care. And so thank you for just giving another key and reminder and a simple way of understanding how we can actually show genuine appreciation for others. I really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you so much for dropping all of the knowledge, the data, and I'm just very grateful. I am very grateful for you, Dr. Paul, for being able to share this with our audience. So thank you for giving us your quality time. You bet. And let me add this. uh, You know, I just thought about this. If people want to get a, 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 see a sample report, uh, they can email me and put this in the notes or whatever, but just at yes, Dr. Paul at Gmail. So yes, Dr. Paul at gmail.com and just put Jen uh, in in the, in the subject line or the, uh, the formal name of the podcast. And I'll send them a, a sample report so they can see what it looks like. Awesome. Well, thank you. Well, they they just heard that too. So thank you so much. You bet. Okay. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I really enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Paul, the five love languages and how we can use those in a workplace environment to actually show authentic appreciation. Think about how your workplace would change what recruitment retention or turnover, collaboration would look like, we actually took more time to be more intentional in our appreciation strategies. Now, of course, if you want to find out more about Dr. Paul and his work, you can head on over to their website, appreciationatwork.com. And you can also email him at yesdrpaul at gmail.com. When you email him, he will send you a sample report of their online assessment. That's what he talked about at the end and a copy of the article written about their work in the New York Times. Finally, if you are looking to not only improve your ability to communicate appreciation, but your overall leadership skill set, how you delegate, how you communicate when things are hard, heck, how you innovate, Crescom would love the opportunity to help develop you. You can learn more about Crescom's one year long leadership development program by heading over to Crescom.com. There you can find out more and even access or request a two hour complimentary leadership skills workshop. Until next time, don't forget to show someone how much you appreciate them. Bye.